Hello, and welcome back to Legend of the Glorio Heroes, your premier recap and reaction podcasts about the legendary 1988 science fiction OVA. Today, you could call today our longest day. And who might say what we might accomplish on such an auspicious date? As always, I'm your host, G. I have two glasses poured here on my desk, and I'm just waiting for my co-host, Eero, to arrive. I'm here. Let's drink. Really? I, I'm sorry, Eero. I'm, I'm already bleeding out. I oh, think no. uh, <laughs> it might be too late in this uh, in a, in a, in a uh, ironic no, turn of tragic events. <laughs> Very good foley. <laughs> I'm sure our More listeners love look, I'm that. Let's just drink together. <laughs> As you might imagine, we are talking about uh, an auspicious trio of episodes today. Indeed. Uh, episodes. Some, some uh, interesting things here. So 96, a live by the sword. Episode 97, a die by the sword. <laughs> and episode 98, endless requiem. Yes. Uh, I think one of the big themes of this trio of episodes is... Uh, G and Eero completely uh, yeah. get it wrong. Just completely uh, missed the mark by a mile. About the shit I was saying in last episode. <laughs> yes, totally but I, I think that is what has always made this podcast interesting. Is just how far off the mark we are sometimes. Like uh-huh. sometimes we nail also, it. That's sometimes proof, we proof nail that it. We're, but... uh, proof that we're watching episode episode. And have yes. no foreknowledge. We have no future knowledge. Like we're not being coy here. Where we're like, hmm, I wonder what'll happen in this battle. No, we have no, we have no clue. You we have me. never I fucking said I was so sure of myself, and I was totally wrong. It's you know, it's it's just. I think that's what makes this show still interesting. Even ninety, we're almost at the triple digit mark. Almost folks. there. We're, we we will be talking about episode one hundred in the next podcast. Like. Oof. We are getting there, and we still get it wrong sometimes, or it's more, this show still surprises us sometimes. Uh, Mm -hmm. But we should just get right into it, because there's a lot to talk about here. So Uh, Let the record show also, I put a note here, I uh, put down the fake money that there would be a cold opening over the OP somewhere in these three episodes, and I was wrong. Yeah, apparently uh, the battle between Roythel and Mittermeier is not important enough to get a cold opening. (laughs) You You heard it here first. Uh, you yeah. know, Yang, Yang dying, that's a cold OP moment. Uh, Royal though, apparently that dude doesn't, that doesn't, dude doesn't rate. matter for shit, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't rate. Yeah, episode 96. But, uh, yes, uh, so it opens up with, uh, the battle begins between Royal and right. Mittermeier, the twin stars of the we'll Empire. Just jump straight in, pretty much. Yeah, they're just right into it, you know, they kind of make, point out some, like, interesting things about this battle. You know, Royal's like, setting up a lot of, like, contingency plans in mm-hmm. advance to kind of uh encircle oh, and trap Mittermeier, you know, trying exploit to. Mittermeier's weakness. He is trying to, yes, well, because they put out like speed. Yes. <laughs> Means he gets there yes. too fast. Yes, Mittermeier, the Gale Wolf, you know, beats Roythel to the punch, but they point out that however, like Roythel is like the superior planner and and blah blah blah, you know, but they also point out, and we will see this play out time and time again in this battle, Roythel does not really have a loyal camp of subordinates. Mm-hmm. You know, he does not have Roythal does not have his own Mittermeyers and Roythals. Right. And the best he's got is Bergengrun, basically. Yes, yes. But uh yeah. they say that he basically assigned Bergengrun to take to be uh like to keep 
all of Noe land stable while he was off battling as opposed to being like a competent second in command of the fleet. Right, right. And it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, you can't call that a bad choice on Roythel's part. It's more like that was one of the only choices he had, right? It's yeah. because he just doesn't have the manpower. You know, we, well, we'll get into this later with Roythel, that in many ways it is similar to Yang's situation of there are just only so many people here. And we just have to make do with the make do with the best we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the battle opens up, uh, takes place at Ranta Mario. In fact, this yes. battle becomes known as uh, the second battle of Ranta Mario. I really like for, that, actually. <laughs> yeah, I do appreciate it. Like it, it gives this play, it gives this setting a sense of of history, as it always has. Mm-hmm. Like there's a part of you that thinks, oh, because this is an Empire Civil War, or like because the first battle of Ranta Mario was between uh, Bukok and the Empire. That oh maybe the empire would would like wouldn't even like re- recognize the existence of that battle, but mm-hmm. there's this idea that like important fights are happening in this place and yeah. like they are being recognized. Like, for it would have been really easy to have it be and any other star zone and have it be the battle of whatever, but right, but like this was the good choke point in, in space that back in, back then and it still is so. Yes, yes. So <laughs> like another battle here. It right, makes like sense. The, str- the strategic value of that place has not changed. What has changed is just who owns uh, which side of that battle now. Right. It's just one of those little things, I think, that totally really adds to the show. Turns out, surprise, surprise, this show is well written. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the fight opens up. Uh, we find out that like uh, Roythal uh, outnumbers Mittermeier roughly 5 million to 2.5 million, so mm-hmm. roughly 2 to 1, uh, because, you know, this idea is that, like, yes, like, Mittermeier is fast, but he has outpaced the rest of his, uh, right. his, his fleet, or not his fleet, but the other fleets. Mm-hmm. Uh, good line here, where they talk about how both Roythal and Mittermeier, despite the, the inherent tragedy of the battle, are kind of enjoying this. Like there's, there's still a delight to be a satisfaction to be had in the tactical challenge of this fight. And then the narrator Mm, just comes in with one of his big editorial statements of just like, and the enjoyment that is being had by this, by these individuals could be a statement to the kind of irredeemable people that military tacticians (laughs) are. Just like some of the hardest the narration has gone in on editorializing so far, I think. Usually the narrator is relatively like even keeled about, you know, the narrator's feelings on, on, on these events, but (laughs) just a good bit here where the narrator is basically saying, man, you got to be a real fucking piece of shit to enjoy toy fighting like, and sending people to right, their deaths. Like, right, like to enjoy good warfare. Like, ah, this is good battle. You know, it's like, my guy, what's, what's wrong with you, dude? People are dying. Right, there, are, there are nearly 8 million people's lives at stake in this fight. Like what? <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it is interesting though. It's, it's a good thing to point out because, you know, t- think about time and time again, like think about how much we were like fist pumping when Yang totally dunked on Geiersberg and, <laughs> and Kev and like basically killed the entirety of the Geiersberg garrison in like yeah. one fell swoop. And it's like in retrospect, that was pretty fucked up, but well, yes, you know, but it's also like, yeah, like at the same time, the shit is kind of exciting. Isn't it like who, as we, as the audience, are we really that much better? You know, we, <laughs> We enjoyed this episode. We did. So it's true. 
um, you know, food for thought, I guess. They also note that Mittermeier feels apprehension not only of fighting his best friend, but also because uh, the soldiers under Roenthal's command are still technically subjects of the Kaiser. And uh, Gee, it's almost like civil wars are yeah. bad things. Brother should not be fighting brother. Yes. And uh, they note that Mittermeier specifically avoided like dragging things out into war of attrition. Right. Specifically to prevent a loss of life. Yes. I mean, also, like, Mittermeier with the numerically inferior forces cannot really afford to to go in hard like that. Mm -hmm. However, there is somebody who can afford to go in hard like that, and it's none other than the Black Lancers, led (laughs) by Bittenfield. Yes, uh, now, like, having fully consolidated the remnants of the Fahrenheit fleet into the Black Lancers, uh, Bittenfield shows up chewing on his protein bar... Yes, and dropping Bittenfield ass lines <laughs> like, let's give Mittermeier time to eat breakfast, chomp. It's like, <laughs> Bittenfield, please! Um, You're ridiculous, but Bittenfield is both equally ridiculous and he is the best at what he does, and what he does yes. is not particularly smart, but pretty <laughs> effective. Royenthal notes, like... Man, when I was playing alongside him, I didn't think much of him. But now that I'm against him, I understand. How right, because the thing with the presence with ben- of the Black Lancers. Right, because the thing with Benfield is like Benfield is the dude who just in a in a boxing match he just comes at you straight on each time and you hit him but he just keeps going and you don't understand it you're like are you too stupid to like block or like recoil from my fist and bitfield is a dude who like happily and proudly answers yes i am too dumb to turn away from your punches (laughs) i'm gonna fuck you up like oh my god just bitfield fucking schooled in the right just uh, the most ancient art of fighting, the the fist to face uh, <laughs> art of My fighting. Face to your fist style. Yes, yes, and it, it turns out that the 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 like terrifying conclusion you come to is oh no, Bittenfield's face is tougher than my fist. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they do paint the battles not not so not so one sided. That they they point out that Fahrenheit and Bittenfield's forces are not completely consolidated. Right. And that the Fahrenheit elements are kind of still resentful towards Bittenfield, and they're not fighting at full, like, cohesion, because mm-hmm. the Fahrenheit guys are like, it's kind of Bittenfield's fault that Fahrenheit died, and so they're still not... Yes. Like, like they're still loyal, but they're not 100% in on the whole Black Lancer's life. Mm-hmm. Also, like, they're all painted black, and this is a fight between Imperial ships and Imperial ships. So yes. it's like, they note that's a little hard to make out 100% who's enemy, who's not, except for the Black Lancers, which are all painted black. Yeah, so it is easy to just uh, shoot in that general direction. But uh, things do start to turn around once uh, the, the following day occurs and the uh, and Wallen, Wallen's fleet arrives. And uh, not only does this equal the numbers in this fight, but it also, like, turns this, turn this essentially to a tactical three-on-one. You know, like... Sure, Mittermeier and Reuthal pretty evenly matched, or in some ways, Reuthal might be superior to Mittermeier as an admiral, but you bring in Bittenfield, you bring in Valen, and you realize that Reuthal is kind of on his own. He does not have his own, yeah. like, competent men that he can rely on in a pinch. 
Meanwhile, uh, Gropalzer and Nafstein are kind of getting the brunt of the attack. And uh, yes. Nafstein's like, when are we turning on Roenthal? Ah, and explodes. Right. Nafstein dies because, like, you know, essentially indecision. Like, the thing that, like, really hurts Roenthal's fleet as a whole is that because both Krillpalzer and Nafstein are essentially about to turn coat at any time, like, right. they're not fighting at full force. They keep noting that Gropalzer, like, hesitates just long enough that Mittermeier's godlike speed can get in and force him to fight back or die instantly. So right. he does, never has you an know, opportunity like, to turn. Right, like, Gropalzer keeps trying to figure out, like, when is the time to betray in this fight? But he never finds the opportunity. And this hurts him because both, it hurts him because Mittermeier is here to kick his shit in, but also, like, he is not helping Roenthal win this fight either because he is holding back in that regard, too. And I also do want to point out real quick that, like, it's not necessarily so one-sided. Like, Roythel pulls off a kind of a good play here where he drags Bear Lane into a trap. And, right. like, I mainly want to bring up this scene because it shows, like, how much, like, how good the storytelling is in Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Like, how accustomed to it that, you know, you and I are. In, right, it's in, all in hundred ways, <laughs> Right, in the ways that Legend of the Galactic Heroes tells its story that we see Bear Lane, like, get dragged closer and closer into Roenthal's, like, battle line. And we already kind of, like, we know, like, oh, shit, like, Bear Lane's about to, like, really fucking get it. And then all they have to do is show you an image on the on like the UI right. com. Here's these of seven like, triangles, right? Like seven triangles surrounding one like differently colored triangle that's Bear Lane's fleet. And like <laughs> even if they're not showing the action, you in your heart of heart knows, oh, that one triangle in the middle is about to get fucked. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but yes, uh, Mittermeier does manage to rescue Bear Lane, but Bear Lane. Uh, gets nearly uh, 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 decimated as mm-hmm. a result of it. There's a fun uh, scene here where the Black Lancers are getting pounded and, you know, some of them are starting to pull back and Bittenfield starts shouting orders, like just shouting out of anger, like, ah, don't retreat. I don't give a shit about any of your retreats. Just push forward and fucking shoot them. And uh, they note that he wasn't like giving an order or anything, but his uh, his adjutant Eugen hit the broadcast button, like right, like put the turn the comms on mm-hmm. and uh, set the call <laughs> to everyone. Yes, and hearing this outburst for Bitfield made the Black Lancers galvanize and charge in. Yes, yes. Like, even the elements of the Fahrenheit fleet were like, man, fuck that Binfield guy. We are not cowards. <laughs> we're going. And so the Black Lancers somehow just blast through Roythal's line, not with tactics, but just sheer guts, uh-huh. which is a very, very Binfield move. Binfield's got um, pretty solid adjutants. Who can yes, yes. I mean, how to once again, in. like, yes, Binfield is one of those dudes where, like, he is, you know, I'm not... <laughs> Again, Dusty is not wrong when he says that Bittenfield is the guy who just continues to fail upwards. And I think some of that is because Bittenfield is lucky enough to have good adjutants. Like, people who yes. know how to, like, wrangle him. People who know how to, like... Like, the best adjutants, I think, are not just, like, the guys who, like, enhance a commander. But, like, in this show, the best adjutants are also the ones who know how to counter and, like, mitigate their commander's, like, worst habits. Yes. And so... Benfield's adjutants are like the equivalent of like, you know, 
they are the guys who like let Bentfield do what he is best at while minimizing his worst habits. They are the ones who were like, no, Bentfield, don't eat that silica packet with the rest of the <laughs> chips. Can't stop you from pulling the trigger, but I can move your gun in the right direction. Yes, yes. And so, you know, that's what we kind of see here. And uh, yeah, so kind of by the next day, the battle's still at a stalemate. Uh, we have a great bit here where Roythel finally realizes, oh, like, Yang Wen Li was a real motherfucker, huh? Yes. Like, he... He was doing he, this all the time. Right. Like, Yang Wen Li didn't just do this for one battle. This was Yang Wen Li's entire military career, in a nutshell, is fighting against an enemy that can replenish endlessly, has way more talented manpower than you do. Um, like... <laughs> yes. Like can can eat the losses in a way that you just cannot like wow yang wen li what a guy <laughs> <laughs> miracle yang yang the magician that source yes. of disease yes like like y'all thought yang wen li was just like some fucking like like cheating trickster no this motherfucker was fighting with his back up against the ropes each and every time and like Y'all didn't realize just how, like, y'all didn't realize what this man could have done to you if he had, like, similar levels of manpower or, or fleet strength. Like, didn't have to rely on a solar flare every time if he could just use <laughs> the Kamehameha. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, and so, because, however, because of, like, Binfield's, like, suicidal charge, we find out that Binfield eventually kind of retreats, you know, kind of needs to lick it. Even, even Binfield has to lick his wounds sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so, Roythel try to goes in for an envelopment one more time. Uh, Wallen, seeing this happen, kind of tries to go in to, right. like, intercept it. And all we the, get this great bit where Wallen's energy streams start igniting from the fire, and Wallen, yeah, Wallen's flagship. Go ahead. Yeah, gets shot up, and we see... <laughs> A beam go right at Valen and shoot his arm off, but luckily it's the robot arm. Valen just fucking stands there, is like, "Ha ha! I already lost that arm, so it's no big deal now." Right? Just, I swear to God, you keep seeing orders with one arm. Uh, just, yeah, he just like unscrews the the stump of the robot arm off. He's like, whatever. Like, I swear to God, do Empire Admirals just have, like, do they just, like, write one-liners in their bathroom? I think like, so. Like, in their spare time? Because, like, that is the only way these dudes just have this shit ready to go at all times. Uh-huh. If they'd been standing, like, yeah, if it had been the other, the non-robot arm, dude'd be dead. Yes, like- yes. But, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the story of Legend of the Galactic Heroes, you know? There's just freak accidents, you know, both lucky and unlucky. Mm-hmm. But, uh... Uh, because of Wallen's interception, uh, Mittermeier, uh, yeah, like, so he, we, I guess we kind of did bring this up already, but yeah, so Mittermeier pushes into Grillpalzer's line. Grillpalzer takes too long to decide and uh, really kind of begins to break apart Royenthal's line in a way that he cannot recover from. Um, and then we finally also see the results of Julian's decision come into play. Right. And we are told that Mecklinger's fleet is emerging from the Iserlone Corridor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the this is where Reinthal that like yeah they think that like Reinthal's like ah he probably just got told to do that like the new commander Ezelon probably just got told to do that by Mercats and the right. narrator has to go like no Julian came up with this on his own right like I mean again it continues to show that like and here's the thing I'm beginning to suspect 
the Empire keeps underestimating Julian. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that, oh, Julian's going to suddenly like bust out and become a Yangwen Lee tier fleet commander. But there is this constant vibe of everybody's like, oh, yeah, that whelp from Isolone got lucky. Or like, oh, he just made the right choice. But like, Julian is making all the right choices and he doesn't need anyone to tell him to. Like, right. I'm not saying Julian's like, here's the thing, with only like 0.0001% of the galactic population, I'm not saying that like Isolone is suddenly going to come out swinging and like you know topple the empire but i think that there are some big wins on the horizon for julian because like people keep underestimating him and like i i suspect that people are going to start like in because here's the thing right you go back to like the history of the fpa right like remember we go all the way 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 back (laughs) to like the first time the fpa and the empire met each other right empire underestimated them and got really smacked on the nose just Right, they got wrecked by the FPA fleets during their first like conflicts mm-hmm. because the FPA was like that was the FPA at its best at their strongest. Right, right? they were like preparing for this we, for a hundred years. Right, like we've been training for this fight for a century. Whereas the Empire was like, who the, who the fuck, fuck are, are you? you? <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> right, like, <laughs> and so like I I'm wondering if like this is going to be like, like some weird history repeats itself shit where like people are like ah whatever is alone's nothing Julie like that Julian guy's unproven and then Julian's going to like fucking come out with a sucker punch and like maybe not necessarily be like the best tactic or like as good as Yangwen Lee but because people are underestimating him he's going to like get a good get punch in where nobody expects it but yeah. That's we've got to save that for another episode. Mm-hmm. And, Point uh, is, with Mecklinger arriving, Roenthal can tell this fight is lost. Right, and, and he has uh, to return to Heinison, or else Mecklinger will just take Heinison. Right, so he organizes a a kind of organized retreat to reduce casualties. Uh, they they point out that Roenthal, like ever the like you know competent fleet commander, uh, kind of handles the retreat very well. It's very organized. It's not you know everybody. It's not disorderly. So, like, it reduces casualties, and Roydal himself kind of leads the the bulwark to defend the retreat. Um, however, Mittermeier decides, rather than stay and lick his wounds, uh, he's going to push in and advance on Roenthal's retreat. Indeed. And uh, not give Roenthal a chance to rest. So, mm-hmm. the fight is still a, on. Yeah, I have a note here that says, it's always harder for the offensive line to push in. Yes. Yes, thank you for reminding me of that tangent I went on. Uh, <laughs> I was going to point out that, like, well, before the episode, before the events of '97 made themselves extremely obvious how this battle was going to go, <laughs> I was really interested in this outcome because at the time, Mittermeier is actually making quite a gamble here, like to push in on a retreating enemy, because, like, obviously, it's like, well, logically, why shouldn't you push in on the enemy who lost? But you don't want but, a repeat of Omlitzer, right? Like. Because I think as people who are familiar with military tactics get, like, the more you push into the enemy's territory, the more it becomes their advantage because they are more familiar with the territory. They're closer to their supply lines. You know, they're closer to their defensive uh, placements, whereas you are getting further and further away from your own supply lines and your own reinforcements. And so Mittermeier is kind of making a gamble here, but also he's Mittermeier the Gale Wolf. Like, this is... This is realistically the only play a guy like him would make, you know? <laughs> yes. And I think also Mittermeier knows Roenthal well enough to know that, like, you give Roenthal even, like, a little bit of breathing room, he will find a way to push back. And, like, Mittermeier realizes he needs to lean into his adva- his his advantages, his, like, specialties, 
to throw Royenthal off kilter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, we get into episode 97. Indeed. Uh, we open with um, Mecklinger going through the Easelon Corridor and uh, basically the Empire staff wondering, are they just going to fucking shoot us in the back as we pass by? Like, are they actually going to keep their word and let us go? Right, because there's still the tension here of like, yes, they agree to, but on, because you are passing th- through Iserloan, you are essentially walking past like the biggest cocked gun in the galaxy. <laughs> yes, uh, like Recklinger's line here, where yes. like the staff tells him to be cautious, and he's like, "Well, for more cautious, will that turn off the Thorhammer?" <laughs> like, yes, they man. have an advantage on us no matter what. So let's just right. go. Man, Mecklinger is so good. We we get a lot of this episode. Ninety seven <laughs> is the episode of, is is the Mecklinger episode, and it makes me so mad we did not get more Mecklinger in this show to get more right. of Renaissance Man because Admiral Mecklinger. Mecklinger just fucking kills at this episode. So you know he uh, opens up the comms with the with the Isolone crew. Uh, Mecklinger says he wishes to salute the holy grave of Yang <laughs> Wenli. That's uh, so kind of very much. I kind of like this, like whether whether Mecklinger is like being you know poetic or or not. It really leads to this idea that even in the Empire side, Yang Wenli is truly becoming mythologized by the galaxy. Yeah, like half, half of the Empire swore blood oath against him. So right, and but there's also this idea of like the holy grave of Yang Wenli, the last bastion of democracy. Like it's not the you know it's what it's what it's 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 what frederica said all those episodes back like yang wenli would have never wanted this but he has now become yes. the holy martyr of democracy like and Iserloan is its new mecca and it's it's kind of fascinating to see that change in in their society and uh yeah and so they all salute each other and the mecklinger minute is over yes <laughs> <laughs> they send him on through. Yes, and kind of so with that ending, we return back to Roythal's retreat, where we find out that uh, Grilpalzer has pulled the trigger. Yeah, Grilpalzer decides that with Mittermeier's fleet on the way, now is the time to turn to, to, to turn traitor and begins opening fire on the Roythal fleet, throwing their retreat into disarray. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so so much for the idea that we can just nakedly trust petty, ambiguous, uh, yeah, ambitious. Yeah individuals specifically uh, note that like a lot of grill pauser staff doesn't really want to just betray and so right, they they're blown con- up with no resistance yes they are confused equally confused by it and to the point where even mittermeier is angry over grill pauser's betrayal uh, i feel like grill pauser really miscalculated here because like betraying mittermeier's best friend like even if it is to help mittermeier i feel like if you knew mittermeier as a person you would know this would not earn you any favors right. in the long run. I mean, as the Empire culture, it's okay to betray if you're asked to first, but betraying of your own volition, that's just the move Nuh-uh. of a coward. Yes. Uh, we get a good, like, we get a good Itano circus here, actually. Yeah, just out like, of nowhere. Just, a, just like, we see one of the, a slightly different looking ship. I, I think we've seen this ship before in the past, but uh-huh. I think a missile in boat general... Ship. Yeah, like we see a we see an Empire missile boat ship, which kind of looks almost a little bit like a a uh, a little bit more like an FPA ship of just like a fucking block yes. with like missile ports in it. This cool opens though. up. It looks cool as hell. Missiles are cool. Yeah, yeah. We don't get enough missiles in Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Like I, I get my I, I love my instantaneous light lasers, but like 
you know, something cool about missiles. Yeah, in space. and uh, these missiles in particular actually hit Roenthal's flagship. But yeah, they knock his they knock his chair over. No, oh, no, my chair. I'm stuck yes. under this fancy he, chair. He get stuck under his fancy chair, which turns out to be um, shall we say, an auspicious moment because uh, parts of debris start falling from Roenthal's ship, and one of them impales him. Yeah, I have my notes here, just written. Holy shit. Uh, <clears throat> did not expect Roenthal to get fucking impaled just now. He gets speared by like what looks like a freaking like <laughs> fucking chest. Yeah, yeah, like just a a, a rivet or something. Yeah, uh, but Roenthal honestly thought he would just die right there. Uh, yeah, I was like, holy shit, are they actually just gonna take him out right here? But uh, Roenthal is too stoic and he's too dramatic for that. <laughs> so he like gets up, and he, like, just wrenches the damn thing out and tosses it aside. Wow, um, of our, you know, of our like, eyes or skin, the color of our blood is the same. Yes. Fucking Reinthal. Fucking tone it down a little bit. He's, look, he's on but, uh, now, now that he's... Now that the clock's ticking, dude cannot be stopped. Yes. <laughs> uh, don't give a fuck powers. Yes, yes. They bring the doctors in. The doctor's like... Uh, you need surgery immediately. You're gonna die if you leave this alone. And Roythel's like, very well, I'll leave it alone. And it's like, what? what? <laughs> I don't like, like surgery. Point, right, to the point where Roythel literally has, like, a fucking, like, flashback scrolling, like, That's scroll right. of every character who has died in this show, including Bukok Chung and Yang Wen Lee. Hell yeah. Like... They remind you that, oh, wow, actually, the Empire has lost a fair number of admirals over the course of this show. Like, you know, Kirky Eyes, of course, Kempf, Lennonkampf, Steinmetz, Fahrenheit, Lutz. Mm -hmm. Like, there is quite a death toll if you're looking at, like, the grand scheme of the Empire side. Yeah. And Reinthal's like, oh, is it my turn next? And it's like, spoilers, yes, it is, Reinthal. Yeah. But uh, and the note that even injured, he uh, commands his fleets with uh, precision and diligence. Yes, but they also keep showing us scenes of like, despite the like the doctor trying to like staple Ruinthal's wound shut, it just keeps bleeding. Uh, yeah, they said like it nicked his artery or whatever. Yeah, like right next to his lung or something. It's like basically, like, dude, you are fucked if you do not get this treated. And uh, they continue to retreat. Um, one of Roenthal's uh, commanders agrees to kind of hold the line to allow Roenthal time to retreat to Heinesen. He's convinced that, like, look, even if this battle is lost, we need you on Heinesen. Like, we need you to continue to command the war effort. Mm -hmm. So Roenthal actually agrees to it and uh, yep. kind of successfully gets away and makes his way back to Heinesen. Yeah. And uh, uh, Grobholzer surrenders himself uh, to Valen. And everyone's like, wow, what a coward. What a piece of shit. Like, even in the way he surrenders is a piece of shit. Right. Because turns out Grill does not, rather than... Yeah, does not submit judgment to Mittermeier, but to Valen instead. Right, as of, like, hoping to get some leniency. And it's like, they point out that even this act, like, encapsulates, like, the degree of cowardice in this man. Uh, but we find out that, like... Roenthal's fleet is shattered. The morale is destroyed. Like, mm -hmm. they're captured. Like, we are told that, like, almost the entirety of Roenthal's fleet is captured or destroyed here. Like, yes. in essence, Roenthal's war is over. Like, there is no coming back from this battle. Uh, his... The writing is on the wall here. 
Mm-hmm. Like uh, we surprising to me almost because like again before we got to these episodes, we thought for sure Roenthal would like fight his way up to Reinhard, but given the events, like it seems way closer to he never really stood a chance to begin with of yeah, making this I think, work. I think I think this is really interesting because like maybe we could just get into this now, but like narratively, we all assumed like, oh, like narrative causality demands that Roy will fight Reinhardt, right? Like that is the fight we're paying to see here. But what Legend of the Galactic Heroes is telling us is that like Roenthal convinced himself he could take on the Empire and win. But like realistically, like we this fight had to happen to remind us how big the Empire is at this point. Like they control 99% of space. They control 99% of the human population. Like yeah. You don't just like walk up to an organization that large and just start throwing swings <laughs> and hope to win. You know, like this is I mean, again, like if we go back to our 7-Eleven AU uh, <laughs> about Legend of Galactic Heroes, Roythel thought that he could just like walk up to like Reinhardt's side of the parking lot and just start like smashing windows. But like you know, like We're sure, Roythel standing here right here, dude. Right, like, Roenthal might beat Mittermeier in a fist fight. Like, hell, he might even beat Roenthal... I mean, I mean Roenthal might even be, beat Mittermeier and Bittenfield in a fist fight. But he's not going to beat Mittermeier, Bittenfield, and Volen and Mecklinger, and Reinhard. <laughs> like, like, at some point, it's like, yeah, you might knock one of them out, but the rest of them are just going to, like, knock you down and then just kick the shit out of you. Like, yeah. it's it's, like the sheer scale of your like but but also like the interesting thing is like also like sure you look at the numbers you say oh like that it's it's set in stone but also like smaller rebellions have won in history you know Mm -hmm. you look at the american revolution you know like hell you look at like the vietnam war in some regards like smaller forces have won and so it's not necessarily that oh Roenthal was doomed to lose, but, like, it was always going to be an uphill battle. And this fight is kind of like a reality check that, like, Roenthal didn't, in, in a lot of ways, like, especially when he thinks back to Yang Wenli, I think Roenthal just never had the right mindset to win this, this, this rebellion. Yeah. Like, you think about, like, how does Yang fight when his back is up against the wall? He, he doesn't... Every fucking advantage you can get. Yeah, like, it is, it's not as far as, like, he fights dirty, but, he, like, he fights in a tricky way. He makes things hard for his enemies. He never gives his enemies a time to rest. Like, you know, not to say Yang Wenli could have won this fight, but, I mean, honestly, you give Yang Wenli Roenthal's fleet and manpower, like, I think Yang Wenli could have won, but also because Yang Wenli would have fought differently. Yang right? Wenli doesn't like, fight Yang for Wenli, conquest. Right, he fights to survive. Like, Yang Wenli is the kind of dude where, like, if he fought Mittermeier with, you know, five five million to two million advantage, like I'm not to armchair, like com- you know, not to armchair admiral here, but like in like my head cannon, like Yang Wenli would probably fight Mittermeier until Bittenfield arrives and then would retreat. Because like Yang Wenli's the kind of dude who knows that like the more and more of like the Empire Admirals that start showing up, the more things are gonna go against his favor. Mm-hmm. Like Yang Wenli probably would have fought Mittermeier until Bittenfield and Volen showed up. He would have retreated. He would know that Mittermeier would be the first to catch up again. He would probably pound on Mittermeier again there until <laughs> Bittenfield and Volen caught up again. 
Then he would retreat for a third time. Again, wait for Mittermeier to be the first one to get there. Like, <laughs> keep wearing him down. Like, right, like... And, and then eventually, this would all culminate in some ridiculous half-assed plan where Bittenfield crashes into an asteroid fleet <laughs> because, like, <laughs> Yang Wenli's strategies are fucking ridiculous. But... Like, that's the thing. Roy, though, would never fight that way because he has too much pride to fight like that. Like, what Binfield, I mean, not what Binfield, what Roy, though, wants is one big, like, flashy, definitive victory. And when you fight to the Empire's rules, you're going to lose to the stronger side. Yeah. Yeah. And so, in a way, it's like, in hindsight, it feels obvious, but I think it's a testament to the show that. Uh, That's history, baby. We didn't really. Yeah, yeah, or or more that we didn't really know until we it, we didn't really know how things were really going until it was so like, already there. obvious. Yeah, we were dancing yeah, Urbanski's exactly. tune the whole fucking time. Oh, like everyone, yeah, almost. totally. And so uh, Mittermeier meets with the rest of the admirals to figure out like how to uh, chase Roenthal best, but uh, they've also just dealt with you know all the deserters and Grill Palser's fleet and. All that business going on, and as I said, prepare to pursue to the Barlet Star Zone, but uh, you know, Roenthal's heading back to Heineson. And meanwhile, Bittenf- right. Bittenfield and Volen are walking out of this meeting, and old Bittenfield's like, ha ha, if, if I uh, if I were the one who rebelled and the Kaiser ordered you to go on a campaign against me, would you do it, Volen? Volan's just like yeah, and Volan is in. <laughs> yeah. stupid like Volan is in no, right. Like Volan is in no mood to entertain Binfield's like weird pensive musing. He is just like mm-hmm. it's like Binfield. It, it's 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 like, it's it's very much like Volan is like Binfield. It's very cute that you're trying to be smart right now, but like nobody is in the mood right. for it. Especially from you, Volen so. is basically worried about the, the precedent the sets of Warrenthal was one of the most trusted, you know, subordinates. He was given charge of Noe Land. Like, if he's right, rebelling, like a, who else can the Kaiser trust? Right. Like, there's this idea that like Warrenthal's rebellion is not only like a material harm to the Empire, but it is a spiritual one. It it is. It is living proof that no one is immune to to disunity and disloyalty. You have to remember, right? Like Reinhardt builds up this entire cult of personality around like ah, Reinhardt and his chosen, right? His hand-picked chosen. Like these individuals that are under my command are not these are not guys who got here because of connections. They're not here because of 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 privilege. It's got the the, like, uh, the I, meritocracy going on, right? I picked the best of the best, and like on one hand, that means that their successes are his successes. Mm-hmm. However, it also means that their failures are implicitly his failures. Yeah, and that Roy that that even somebody that like the the Kaiser himself handpicked can can betray him like again it's like what you said they're playing right into rubinsky's hands they are setting a precedent that there is nobody reinhardt cannot trust or like you know cannot at least be suspicious of right like 
with with the death of Kirky Eyes and the the estrangement of Anna Rose, like Hilda's the only one who's left, and again, I don't want to get into full speculation territory here, but the fact that she is like hiding the pregnancy from Reinhard, mm-hmm. like I, again, I'm I'm really worried about that, that that that's gonna pop off in a bad way down the line. Yeah. Like, I feel like you do not explicitly have a character say something like that unless there's going to be, like, an unfortunate narrative payoff later. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just... I'm not, you know, I don't know. I'm not saying, like, Reinhardt's going to be like, what? You didn't tell me about the pregnancy, so you too have betrayed (laughs) me or something. But, like, also, Reinhardt is, like, so, like, unpredictable and kind of unhinged at this point that, like... yeah. Like that's I think that's what Valen is worried about. Like, like Reinthal has like permanently destroyed a relationship between Reinhardt and his admirals. Like, there will now be like a gulf between them that will never go mm-hmm. away because the possibility of another Reinthal will always yeah. exist. So uh, Reinthal refuses to ditch his flagship, continues to be Reinthal to the bitter end. Yes. Uh, <laughs> And uh, the narrator notes that uh, he had relentless rationality, which I'm not so sure about. And uh, uh, a guy he, who repeatedly refuses life saving surgery uh, is not somebody I would call rational. Dominable self control is a hard maybe. Uh, let's go with yes, but for the wrong things. Yeah, <laughs> let's put it that way. And mean Mel- but, uh, yeah. but yes, he does manage to. Yeah. He manages to get Tynus in. Sorry, go ahead. Mecklinger uh, meets up with yes. the Miramar fleet, and uh, Mecklinger, the smart one, is like, hey, stuff doesn't add up about that assassination attempt. How come nobody's talking about this? We should investigate right, like further. There's, there's a weird, like, yeah, there's a weird, like, sudden realization of their dumbassery on the parts of, like, Mittermeier that's like, oh... That's something we should have looked into before we declared war, huh? Mm-hmm. But it's like, I mean, it's like, Mittermeier, it's not your fault. It really is Roythel and Reinhardt's fault for being too fucking ridiculous to, like, stop for even a minute to let a guy like Mecklinger be like, hold on a sec. Yeah. Like, should this listen is weird. to Renaissance Man, Admiral Mecklinger. Yes. But yeah, so Mecklinger uh, goes to Uravasi. And uh, kind of investigates. He, he reopens the case. Yeah. And uh, he discovers that he, he finds out about Grill Palser's uh, purposeful, uh, purposeful obs- obfuscation of the Earth Cult plot. Yeah. And so upon figuring this out, uh, Mecklinger has Grill Palser called in. <laughs> uh, and, uh, into the principal's office. Yes, yes. Mecklinger is there tapping on a manila folder, looking very stern. And Mecklinger just really dresses down Grill Palser mm-hmm. here. Like, the best line here is where Mecklinger says that, like, Grill Palser, you have not just committed a crime, you have committed a double crime. Like, not only have you betrayed your Kaiser, you've also hidden information from, like, you have hidden information that has led to this war. Like, in essence, this war is your fault. You ensured Mm -hmm. that this rebellion was inevitable. Like, had you not hidden this information, perhaps we could have avoided this whole damn thing. And, you know, Grill Palser tries to fucking, like, plead and 
fucking grovel. Like, oh no, I was always loyal. I just, I wanted to expose yeah. Royenthal so that like we could nip him in the bud. And like, Mecklinger, another great line is like, a mouse like you could never be a lion's friend. Like you, and it's you never like, grasp, it's like, you cannot grasp the uh, true intentions of a lion. Yeah. And I think like, I mean, I think the thing that Mecklinger is actually really nailing here is like what we said before. We're like, grill pauser, like, because again, we have to be reminded that like grill pauser's motivation time and time again has been this idea of like, oh, I'm a junior admiral and like we're running out of wars to earn glory in. Like, I'm never going to like, I'm never going to get to that place where Royal and Mittermeier are because they got their promotions through like warfare. It's meritocracy and I won't and have any chance once- to show my merit. Right, like, because I'm such a narrow-minded dumbass that I think that, like, military affairs is the only chance for me to show off. You know, completely ignoring that there are dudes like Kessler and Mecklinger who have thrived <laughs> in this, yeah. like, New World Order doing zero war Mecklinger's like, I mean, scholar, maybe it has been- you've betrayed, like, your chances. Real pause where you discovered that yes, star, man. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's like, it's like, Mecklinger of all people is the person who should be dressing down uh, uh, Grill Pauser because Mecklinger is a person who has not earned any glory in this show through war right like I mean it has been detrimental to his screen time but I would not say that it has been detrimental to like Mecklinger the person like Mecklinger the person we see time and time again is seems reasonable I mean maybe he's not as blindly yeah, like he's not as blindly ambitious as like Royenthal, but he seems like he seems to be doing all right for himself. Like in the same way that like look, like in many ways I kind of see a parallel between Mecklinger and Castleman. Sure, yes, like I see that. Like Castleman is like Castleman is not a dude you send in to like to, to to throw fists. He's the guy you have in the back who makes sure that like okay, do we have enough bullets and food to fight <laughs> this battle? You know, and like. Yeah, like, you need people like that in war. You need people who are like, I did the math, and uh, we'll need so-and-so supplies, you know? Like, that's just as valuable, Mm -hmm. and I don't know, yeah, it's like, and so, like, the idea, you know, I think it fits, like, Mecklinger of all people, a guy who is inherently not a glory hound is like, Quit being such a glory hound, you dumb kid. Right, like, you squandered your entire career, like, you could have served with honor in the Kaiser's new peaceful world order, like and earned your your place in history but like you could you could have become a history writer <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't you fucked up and now you'll be remembered as a traitor and a coward and a sneak and an example of like what every like empire admiral should never aspire to be yeah <laughs> and uh with that uh we finally return uh, to Heinesen, yes, where uh, notes, Royenthal has returned. Your notes that uh, the Royenthal fleet has been reduced to 10% of its number, and uh, half yes. of that 90% died battle. Yes, and the other half surrendered. Abs- absurdly high number. Again, Legend of the Galactic Heroes, despite being largely like pretty grounded in a lot of areas, still loves to throw out ridiculous numbers for its casualties and fights, which are unbelievable Two million people <laughs> tied on royal side yes it's ridiculous but uh i mean i i think they they throw out numbers like that to make sure we understand 
Roenthal's not coming back from this. Like, he's done. Like, he is fighting no more battles. And, like, like these are, like, these are casualties that even Yang Wen Lee would struggle to come back from. Yeah. And uh, <sighs> a guy that is less than Yang Wen Lee's caliber is certainly not going to. Yeah. And uh, with that, we finally come to the final mm-hmm. episode of the three. Narrator notes that Roenthal's longest day has begun. Yes, yes. To to echo back to the beginning of this podcast, we are now, we are now at the beginning of Roenthal's longest day. Uh, so first things, so we, we find that Roenthal essentially just went back to his office. Essentially, <laughs> Roenthal has come back to his office to take care of a few trifling mm-hmm. matters that need to be taken care of before the rest of the Empire get here. Uh, first things first, he brings in Alzheimer, yeah. uh, Lutz's uh, brother-in-law, yeah. essentially, and uh, says, all right, you're released from house arrest. You're in charge now. Uh, you're in charge now. Like, I'm not long for this world, and somebody's got to run this mm-hmm. place. And Alzheimer agrees. And then Roythal's like, next on the docket, bring in Job Trunit. Bring in that motherfucker. Uh, Job Trunit. We have another appellation for him. Uh, meeting with Dro- Job Trunit, as unpleasant as death. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. So Roythal essentially brings Trunit yeah. into his office, and they kind of have a one-on-one, you know, just a, a nice little private conversation. Yep. You know, Roythal is like, you know, in accordance with autocracy, so, I you know. Yeah, yeah. And like, what is your like petty little? De- what, what would your democracy think of that? And like, Trunet's like Trunet brings out goes full shitbag in in this segment here, where he's just I don't give like, a fuck about democracy. I don't give a fuck about yeah, autocracy like, demo- either. I'm I'm for what yeah, gives like, me more power. Right, like Trunet literally says, democracy can't be that special if a dirtbag like me can thrive and that I am in fact happy and proud to be an opportunistic bottom feeder. And, uh, you know, and, and then Reuntel says, uh, kind of gives him a lo- a loaded question. He's like, so does that mean that like, you're going to, uh, exploit the Kaiser too? You're going to exploit the autocracy. You're going to poison, right. uh, our government just, too, just in the name of uh, getting with ahead the, with the free plants lions and the earth cult. Yes, and Trudy's like, hell yeah, I am. Fuck the Kaiser. Fuck that blonde brat. He doesn't know shit. I'm gonna poison him, his government. I'm gonna bring it you, all down, and I'm gonna come out on top. I thought that dumbass kid would suck too if you rebelled against him. And, like, Roythal's just like, yeah, I I thought you might say that. And pulls a fucking gun out and just shoots John Finally. Trudy. Like, <laughs> yes, Finally. Took 98 episodes. We are finally given the thing we have <laughs> begged for this entire show. Royanthal finally does what nobody else has been able to do in this show so far, which is just give no fucks and just well, blast Job Trunit. Too, uh, too so slimy that it took all of Royanthal's don't give a fuck energy multiplied by his deathbed to finally get a grasp yes. on that guy. And you'll realize, oh, Roenthal returned thousands of miles <laughs> back to Heineson, essentially to make sure he could shoot Job yeah, Trunin. all right. Which is like, if there's any individual in the galaxy that is so detestable that as you are bleeding to death, 
You would return home just, thousands of miles away. You really need to fuck that guy over. Like, not, not like, you think about a guy like Roenthal and his personality. You thought, oh, maybe he's going to go out in a suicidal final charge. Maybe he'll pull off a bucock and, like, request one last, like, talk with the, with, with the, with the, uh, with Reinhard. No, he's like, no, there's actually, there is one last thing I got to do. Like, one last salt. Like, because here's the thing, right? Roenthal. If Roenthal knew he was going to lose the fight, uh-huh. he could have actually hurt the Empire in one final definitive way. And that is male job Trunic alive and well back to Fajan. <laughs> like, that would probably, like, deliver job Trunic recommendation. <laughs> right. Like, sending job Trunic alive and in good standing back to Reinhard could probably do more damage than anything Roenthal's actual fleet could uh-huh. do. But. Roenthal's like, if I was going to beat Reinhardt, I want to do it with my own two hands. I'm not going to let a fucking snake like you do that. So he gives a great speech here where he's like, a little paraphrase here, but he's basically like, I don't give a damn if you belittle democracy and profit at the expense of a nation or its people, but you will not sully the Kaiser with your filthy (laughs) feces-filled tongue. Uh... And if I cannot defeat the Kaiser... Then I can at least shoot you. <laughs> Finally, just <laughs> and Christ. job truly at a loss for words. No, no pithy comeback. It's like that's a, that's the delicious thing about this 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 death is that this entire show, job truly has been convinced of his untouchable status. Right. That like you can hate him, you can openly hate him, you can openly detest him, but. You can't touch nope. him. Dude, dude he's, just uh, keeps going. He's too valuable. Oh, what are you? What are you gonna do? Right, like he is too valuable. He is too. He hedges too closely to the word of law. He he knows, and and he knows for the most part that he is dealing with people too principled to just shoot him. Like think about like right. when when Job Trun is dealing with people who are like actually violent and unpredictable enough to kill him. He kowtows. He he begs and he scrapes. That's what he did with Roenthal until he made the fatal flaw of bad-mouthing the Kaiser. Is that even with Roenthal, he was still like, ah, oh, yes, you Roenthal, honored Roenthal. Until now, where he pushes too far. He thinks this is still the same Roenthal he was talking with like five episodes ago, right? The Roenthal that was willing to just have him put under house arrest, but not murdered in cold blood. But he makes the mistake, he realizes, oh, you're not dealing with that Roythal anymore. You were dealing with a Roythal who has run out of fucks to give, who is on his deathbed and knows it, and is like, motherfucker, I'm not going to even be around to experience the consequences of this act. I'm fucking do it. Like, right. And, like, it is so satisfying to see a man so convinced, like, a man so convinced he could just shit-talk Reinhard to Roythal's face and eventually walk out of that room unharmed. Like, mm-hmm. so convinced. And to so see him fucking choke on his goddamn blood <laughs> is so goddamn satisfying. And a part of me is, like, so mad it took this long. But also, but also delayed satisfaction like, it, is... Uh... Yes, yes. And it really gets to this idea of, like... I don't know, maybe we just bring it up now. Is like... The bravery of Yoshika Tanaka to write a story in which actually, you know, we'll save this for later because we're not done. We're not done with satisfying sure, sure. deaths in this um, episode. 
We'll get to this later. <laughs> Instead, right. let's get to let's move on to sure. the next person on the course, docket of uh, Reinfeld's. Yeah. Uh, of course, yes. Elfried von Kolrausch appears in the office as well. Full-on Sailor Moon villain-looking Elfried. <laughs> Big 80s hair and all. Yes, looking looking increasingly ridiculous as we approach the year 2000. <laughs> but uh, she's here to basically taunt taunt Roenthal, watch him die, tell him off for being who he is, and uh, taunt him with the existence of his child that he didn't want to exist Right. And, uh, but Reinthal and in his full don't give a fuck power is basically, you know, brings a full circle, thinks about how his best friend, who always wanted a child but could never manage to conceive, and yet he, who hated his father and hates children, did, tells Elfried to, uh, entrust Miramire with the child. Yeah. They're uh, far more qualified to raise a child in this tumultuous time. Yes, and that Roenthal's kid deserves a much better father than Roenthal could ever be. And uh, that kind of a one last favor to the friend he mm-hmm. uh, he still cherishes. Um, Roenthal kind of uh, pointing, kind of commenting and musing about how how silly and how weirdly sentimental he is getting knowing he is on death's mm-hmm. door. Like he knows he's being ridiculous. Roy himself knows he's being extra <laughs> in his longest day. Like I'm doing some weird stuff today that I would not normally do. Like I shot job Trunit. I just love, I left that blood stain there. His, uh-huh. you know, uh, I'm doing all these favors. I'm begging this woman I hate to give this baby to my best friend. Uh-huh. We know um, the, the the child has blue eyes. Does, does not have the heterochromia. Yes, two blue eyes. And uh, we uh, <clears throat> some more hours pass. Uh, we 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 are met with uh, Roenthal's unnamed adjutant, who really deserves a raise <laughs> after Dude's all of holding this. holding baby. He was like, uh, is told to take care of this baby. And uh, write down Roenthal's last words. Right, he pours. He has and, pours uh, two glasses of whiskey for Roenthal. Yes, yes. And, uh, and Roenthal uh, has a vision of Ghost Mittermeier <laughs> drinking with him. Uh, laments yes. that he will not live long enough to share a final drink. And uh, yeah, Edgerton dude has the quick thinking enough to grab a clipboard and write down Roenthal's last words. Yes. And uh, with that, uh, Roenthal uh, passes away in his chair. Born and died in the same year as Yang Wen Lee. Yes. It, they point out both uh, both died at age 33. Boy, these guys are young. <laughs> Don't even remind me, dude. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then they say that like a few hours later, uh, Mittermeier lands on Heineson, mm-hmm. where uh, <laughs> they don't say the word, but I, I, Mittermeier basically muses that perhaps Roenthal merely lost because he had no Nakama, he had no friends. <laughs> like I had like, Bittenfield and Valen all on my side. Right. Like it, it's hard to tell. Like it's hard to tell whether Mittermeier is being humble or if he's being realistic. Where he's like, I. Roythel had me dead to rights. Like I would not have won that fight either, without. Either way, it is very in character for Mittermeier. 
Yeah. And I mean, I mean, to some degree, I mean, I might agree just because, like, you know, like, I like Bittermeyer, but I feel like that fight didn't really start to go his way until his buddies started right. showing up, so... <laughs> But uh, anyways, Mittermeier gets led to uh, Roenthal's office where he he finds Roenthal's body mm-hmm. and <laughs> Mittermeier is ridiculous. He decides that the he sees the two glasses of whiskey there and he decides that the sensible thing to do is rip the Empire flag that is like in the office off its like pole and then drape it over Roenthal's body. <laughs> um... We're not done with absurdity here yet because tragically we also find out that uh poor yeah, Berigan Grun has himself in a room. locked himself in a room. Uh Berigan Grun realizes that he has now lost he has been an adjutant to both Kirkyeyes and Roenthal, saying that uh he is uh, he is a uh, he is he is ashamed. He has served under two of the greatest admirals this era has ever known, and they have both died. You know, not under his watch, but essentially, right. like he has in in his eyes, he has failed right. the both I mean, of them. And they both lost. They both yeah. died to like shitty political schemes, basically. Like right, yes. Berlingrun correctly points out. He calls out uh, to 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 Mittermeier and the rest of the crew that are like outside the door. Like, hey, by the way, Kirkyeyes and Roenthal were literally some of the best pieces on the board you ever had, and you threw them away because of uh, of politicking, because of, of bullshit schemes that you were too slothful to deal with, that you vastly underestimated. Like, mm-hmm. whether he is explicitly calling out Oberstein himself, or the Earth Cult, or perhaps just Oberstein's uh, willful uh, ignorance of, of these machinations, point is, like... The Empire is in a worse place, not because of its enemies, but because of its own, like, political and bureaucratic ineptitude. Mm-hmm. And with that, he, uh, he, he, ta- he also takes his yep. own life. Gets him, shoots himself. Yeah. And, uh, with that taken care of, and the, the rebellion officially quelled, uh, Valen stays behind on Heineson, yeah. while Mittermeier returns to Fazan. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a real, we get a real hard scene here where we see you know Mittermeier kind of breaking down. Off in the He's corner, crying a bit. Yeah. yeah, off in the corner while all his adjutants are looking at him from like a, the other side of the room, which is a little ridiculous. But, uh, poor Mittermeier. Know, like Bear Lane says something like, "Ah, like commit this to memory. You'll never see this ever again." But uh, yep, and uh, yeah, just you know, poor Mittermeier, really poor. Like, of anybody who really should be like, we should be really be feeling sorry for in in these episodes. It is, yeah, dude did deserve Mittermeier. You know, like, all right, if we're gonna like, maybe we'll save this for our like end of season four wrap up podcast. It will be another topic of who had the hardest life in Legend of the Galactic <laughs> Heroes. Like, I'm pretty sure Yang Wen Lee wins that, but like, I feel like Mittermeier is definitely a contender uh-huh. just because like, in terms of disparity between goodness of his spirit and the life events he is forced to contend right. with. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And then we finally cut back to Reinhardt, who we've not seen yeah, this entire trio. Being informed of the situation. Yes, and uh, he is in his again. bed. He is once again uh, sick with uh, something. Yep, uh, we mm-hmm. don't know what. He notes um, that basically the narrator <laughs> continues to drop. Go ahead. 
I was gonna say the narrator the narrator continues to draw very ominous tones of like had the others known how serious the sickness was, <laughs> perhaps and then ellipses. <laughs> it, it's like <laughs> Yeah. I swear to God, that's got to drop eventually, right? We are 98 episodes in. They eventually got to reveal to us, like, oh, like, I don't know, man. Reinhardt's got something like HIV or <laughs> cancer or something. Like, I, I mean, I don't mean like literally right, those diseases, right. but you know what I'm saying? Anime terminal disease. You know, right. He's got the, cl- he's got the clanad illness or whatever, you know? <laughs> Just, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he's, anyways, go he's ahead. He's like. Maybe uh, the only way to satisfy Roenthal would have been for me to fight him personally. And narrator also notes that uh, not even Reinhardt realized that the only way he would have been satisfied was to, would have been to fight Roenthal personally. It's almost like Reinhardt's greatest flaw is, is his inability to recognize that. Uh huh. That undoubtedly, like undoubtedly, Reinhardt is. Reinhardt is. Reinhardt will leave the Empire in a better place than when he found it. Like, of course, he has objectively made the Empire a better place. But also, he has not made it as good of a place as it could have been. Because of his, like, distinct, undeniable personal failings. His, 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 his emotions, his, his, his impetuousness, Mm -hmm. his, his warmongering. Yeah. And how much like that has rubbed off on his subordinates or has allowed his subordinates to, you know, in in Roydell's case, like convince themselves of certain things, or in like Oberstein's case, allowed them to get away with things that they never should have been allowed to. Yeah. And uh, he gets a voicemail from Hilda, basically Hilda continuing to be highly industrious and diligent in her duties. Basically saying, like, Lutz's fiance refused to receive survivor benefits and uh, don't get mad at her. She is she's professional. How about you uh, create like the Lutz Foundation for military nurses <laughs> or something? Man, you know, there's a there's going to be a lot of uh, Admiral Foundation certain, for <laughs> yeah, Admiral named foundations and medals being handed down by the end of Reinhardt's reign. Yeah. Huh? Like we already got the Kirky Eyes Memorial Medal of Valor and the uh, the, the the Tri Admiral Fortress uh-huh. and the Lutz Medical Foundation for for nurses or whatever. <laughs> like, uh, Man, how many more of these are we gonna get? Now, what would Binfield's Foundation fundraiser be called? Be an MMA like? gym. <laughs> would it be like yeah, like the Binfield like youth <laughs> athletic center. Yes, exactly that. <laughs> yes, the what is that? What was it? What, what are those acronyms? There's Binfield Youth Athletic, the the BIAC, the BYAC. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> yep, everybody's coming down to the BYAC. Uh, uh, <laughs> we're not done with this episode yet though <laughs> anyway hilda's now four months pregnant uh yes uh, they she's point, now yeah. legally required to change into mom clothes right by fiction wearing yes, this, required to be wearing, wearing this long nice dress and this, this shawl <laughs> Yes, you know, the the fiction shorthand for this is an expecting mother is a uh, like a yes, is a is a is a is a is a, is a full body gown and a onesie. She just now she I just, mean not a onesie, a shawl. <laughs> onesie. 
Now she just needs to tie her hair. Not the onesie. Not the onesie. Now she just needs to tie her hair into a side tail and. Uh... Yes, yes. Go full anime mob. <laughs> Uh, but yes, she we do uh, we do return to uh, Hilda. She is speaking with uh, Papa Mariendorf, who says that uh, he is going to retire soon because uh, it turns out that even if Mariendorf was maybe not the most competent individual in the Empire, he was actually a weirdly intelligent one. Uh, he points out that look, even if you look Hilda, him, even if marry him, what you, you will still be the mother of the Kaiser successor. That's going to set some weird precedents. And, like, history has shown us that nothing good in history has ever come of, like, someone in my position holding the amount of power I do. Like, it's going to lead to weird, it's going to it's gonna lead to weird relationships. People are going to use my position to, like, advocate and defend bad shit down the line. Mm-hmm. So, I gotta retire now while, like, things are still good. And it's like, hey, that, you know, yep. turns out Yang Wenli, not the only individual in this world obsessed with the concept of historical precedence. <laughs> yep. Uh, and he says, uh, Admiral Mittermeier should take my position because uh, even though he's a military man, not a politician, if someone like me could do that, obviously he can do it better than me. Sure, sure. Though, of course, the immediate joke I make is like, Mittermeier is way too honorable to be a good politician, so, <laughs> you know, like, we'll see how that goes. I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll get to look forward to, maybe the remaining episodes will be about Mittermeier's burgeoning uh, political career. <laughs> maybe. Look, he has had a very successful military career. Yeah, I mean, didn't we always say, like, man? The, yeah, like, isn't the thing we always, like, all the characters we always pointed out, is like, man, wouldn't it be great if, like, Bittenfield and job trunets were like existed in the same government just imagine like the fucking like ridiculous shit that would happen there and like hey we're gonna about to get mittermeier in the government so who knows maybe uh maybe he'll finally be able to call out oberstein on yeah. some of his shit speaking of uh enough evidence has surfaced about lang that kessler brings him in yes and uh and uh, walks him interrogated is like we could just tort like if you don't talk, we'll torture you like you tortured all these other people. Right. And and there's over. like this painting shot. Yeah, you go ahead. Yeah, we pan over to the torture to torture wall. Yes, it's... <laughs> so fucking hammers and axes and pliers and ball and chains and zap machines and fucking whatever. <laughs> the Empire is so ridiculous. Like... Here's the thing. I am not saying the FPA would not torture people or would not be above torturing people. Sure. Like, Yang wouldn't torture people, but I know for a fact there are people in the FPA who would happily resort to torture. And I think the thing that, like, in my head speaks to, like, what is the thematic difference between the FPA and the Empire is that, like, if the FPA tortured somebody for information, the scene would be, like, of a waterboarding. Yes. But... A scene of the Empire torturing somebody is like a big buff gimp <laughs> bringing out an electro whip and then bragging about how much he likes to torture people. And then behind him is a rack of hammers and axes. And I'm not trying to imply one of those is the better way to torture people, but I think it speaks to like the ridiculous, like, 
narrative beats that those two factions like uh-huh. exist on and the disparity between them. Yes, remember kids, torture is bad. Warboarding is torture. Don't fucking do it. Yes, but also electro whipping is also, torture, yes, so don't do bad. that either. Uh, don't brag about how good you are at torture. It doesn't set a good precedent. Anyway. <laughs> Lang demands no happen to Roenthal, and upon hearing that Roenthal has died, it's, the narration says he laughed for over an hour straight, and then confessed yeah. everything. And by because I mean, like, yeah, by confessing everything, they mean self-justifying his own behavior and shifting all of the guilt onto Rubinsky and Oberstein. Of course, of course, still a politician to the end, but it's. It's a little frustrating. I mean, it's really satisfying to see Lang finally get his, but it's also frustrating because you realize like he's getting his after his plan already succeeded. Yeah. Like, like Lang, like I mean, not that you, you know you can't say somebody wins or loses in such an objective sense, but like if Lang's sole goal was to fuck over Roythal, mm-hmm. then Lang hugely succeeded. Lang, I mean. <laughs> By by the standards of what their individual personal goals were, Lang succeeded more than Roenthal. Yeah, you know if like Lang won in a sense, he he got his petty revenge on Roenthal, even if it means the cost of his life and career. Yeah, and it kind of sucks that this is how it went down. But I think this is also like important stuff to see because it reminds us like you know like this is exactly what Bergengren was talking about, like. Good men are getting killed by bad men on the same side of uh, on the same side, essentially. Yeah, and uh, so they Empire troops raid all of Rubinsky's crazy hideouts. Get a nice montage. Yes, we see them going to like the the mountain cabin and the office and the underwater villa thing and. Yes, but he's gone from all of them. Nobody can find Ruben. It turns out that it, it turns out that not all of them were holograms. Enough of them were actual real locations that dude was just chilling out on on Fazan. Again, in again, it, it was sci-fi written in a different time period. They probably did not have the idea of like how accurate satellite like GPS like cameras could become right. in the future. But the idea that like there are places on Fazan that are like remote and uncharted enough. In a world where they have, like, faster-than-light-speed travel, <laughs> but could not find a man in one of his, like, 100 supervillain lairs is so ridiculous. He's just that good, man. Yeah. I mean, also, in all fairness, the Empire wasn't trying that hard until now, True. right? Like, like, did anybody even say Rubinsky's name in the Empire? I think someone like, did once, <laughs> like, but he was not a major thing. Right. So I guess it's as much their negligence as, you know, as anything. Yep. And uh, but, so uh, Lang's wife appears to, uh, the, yeah. you know, does the whole, he's been, he's a good family man. He's a good husband, a know, nice she's, father. <laughs> she's pulling the same fucking excuse that any, like, famous rich white dude who gets accused of doing bad shit carts out as, like, a defense uh-huh. of, like, I'm a, I'm a loving husband and a committed father. It's like, uh-huh. you know you can be both of those things and still be an awful human being, right? right? And I mean, that's like, what Kessler basically says. He's like, don't misunderstand. Like, the reason he's being prosecuted 
has nothing to do with him being a good husband and a kind father. Like his private affairs are not not relevant to this case. Right. Like we are dealing with the fact that like your husband might be a good man to you. He's also an unrepentant piece of shit. Mm -hmm. Like those things are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so, uh, we kind of finally, uh, end it with, uh, we return to Oberstein's office. Oberstein and Ferner. uh, Yeah, so just kind of hang out. (laughs) It's a funny, it's it's a funny look at office, because, like, it's just the two of them in there, just like... They're, like, laptops and paperwork. Yeah, and, like... It's a huge room. (laughs) It's a huge room, it's just the two of them. It's really, it's really goofy looking, honestly. And uh, Oberstein, just out of nowhere, all of a sudden, uh, uh, brings up out loud, like, Here's why I think Mittermeier had to kill Roy Thal. Like, imagine him, and that is because after like they came to work, you know, let's say like eight thirty, and you know they've been working, and got to lunch break, and lunch break was fine, and then now it's like three forty-five, and it's been in silence all day, and then Oberstein's like, "Hey, do you know why Mittermeier killed Roy Thal?" <laughs> Yes, that's a perfect way to put it, right? Like, like because of the weird framing of the scene, like there's nobody else in there. Like, it very much feels like, oh, have they just been sitting and working in silence this whole time? And then all of a sudden, Oberstein just opens up about about this, and Oberstein essentially says that he thinks that if Mittermeier had let Reinhard uh, land the killing blow on Roenthal. No matter how loyal Mittermeier is, no matter how much he truly believes in Reinhardt's vision for the Empire, if he had let Reinhardt kill his best friend, Mittermeier would never forgive him. Right. Like, never. You know, no matter how logical, rationally tries to be about this, even if Roenthal truly did betray the Empire, Mittermeier, Mittermeier truly loved Roenthal that much. Like... He was... Mittermeier's too loyal of a man. Yeah, like... And so Mittermeier felt like if he had to quash those feelings, if he wanted to stay loyal to the Empire and to the Kaiser, he had to land the killing blow himself. And that would allow him to direct any resentment about killing his best friend to himself, rather than to any, like, blame it on any external And, And then nothing would compromise his loyalty. Now that said... That's Oberstein's musing, and mm-hmm. it's funny that Mitter- I mean, it's funny that Oberstein would bring that up because uh, we know for a fact that Bergengrun himself, in his dying moments, uh, within earshot of Mittermeier, right, specifically calls out other elements as the cause of Roenthal's death, and combine this with like this subplot they're building up to of like Mittermeier becoming like the new what is it like. I don't even remember the name of uh, of uh, Elder Mariendorf's uh, position, but it's like chief, you know something. <laughs> I'd have to. The point is, like, here. if if they're building up to the subplot of Mittermeier joining politics, like you almost start to wonder, right? Like after hearing what Bergengren said, do you think Mittermeier starts to like actually turn? Oberstein into the source of his resentment for Roenthal's death. I think that's a big possibility. Uh, like, because like, because left between Mittermeier blaming himself and Mittermeier blaming Reinhard, 
Oberstein all of a sudden becomes a new convenient third option. Yeah. And I think that depends. I wonder if maybe if he hears from Kessler and or Mecklinger, you know, or whoever that Oberstein is culpable somehow. Yeah, because I mean, like now that they know Lang is responsible and of course, you know, of course, Lang is just like trying to cover his ass by blaming whoever he can. But also Lang wasn't necessarily incorrect about his about his blame shifting like. Oberstein knew about the plot. Yeah. And he still let it happen. So, again, he did not necessarily pull the trigger, but he certainly, like, he saw the bullets, he saw the gun, and he didn't do anything about it. Yeah. And how culpable is he, then, in in this entire thing? And, uh... We're kind of just left with those uncomfortable questions. It's been put down, but, uh... Yeah, Earth. as this episode comes to an no end. No one could say if it would return to a peaceful era. Spoilers. Probably not. not. <laughs> we still got 12 episodes of this show left. 12, yeah, not too many podcasts left. Not not too many. We're we're coming we're coming close to an end here, folks. It's it's been I don't want to start tossing out speeches now about how it's been a ride, but you know, it's been a ride. It's crazy, man. I mean, mm-hmm. Again, we'll be talking about episode 100 in the next podcast. Yeah. And uh, for the for the listeners who are doing the math, we will probably have our final, our very last uh, Legend of the Glory Heroes wrap-up podcast uh, at, by the end of this year. Either right before the end of the year or right after. So. Yeah, we're still figuring out the math there. But it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, and yet, and yet we look at this, we look at the plot line here and again. We're still getting surprised. Mm-hmm. We're still speaking of we're so pissed. Okay, I know this is kind of hard left, but uh, okay, we did watch Dinoiteze yesterday. Oh yeah, we did. We, we found did. out it was the yes. Joel Wielder. Yeah, turns out it was Mittermeier. Duh. <laughs> of course, it was Mittermeier. Yeah. So for those who need context, we are talking about DNT's. Uh, a portrayal of the scenes of the episode Bloodshed in Space, in which uh, Mittermeier and Reuntel are tasked with bringing down Admiral Ovlesser. Uh-huh. And the DNT events are pretty wild. I mean, they're basically, like they, they, they're power armor size, but they look like actual mechs. Like, there's not, like, I gotta be honest. I kind of really dig the uh, the Empire power armor. Like they don't even have helmets. Like it's just like well, it's a armor plate. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like a giant chest plate that encompasses their entire like torso. Mac without the head. It's, like yeah, yeah. It's a cool. It's honestly a pretty cool design. Um, I don't like that they all have swords now. I I wish they still had axes. I think. I think I feel like a long-standing appeal of Legend of the Galactic Heroes is like. Both sides, like both the FPA and the Empire, arrived at the like conclusion that the axe is the most ideal weapon for cutting through power armor. Yeah. So, so many of them using like I wouldn't mind if like Roenthal and Mittermeier had swords because like of course those sure. guys would they they're they're, they're ridiculous. Yeah. But like I kind of was annoyed that the rest of the rank and file power armor like the the armored grenadiers also had swords. I was like, oh, that kind of it just doesn't feel the same. Like when Ovlister is the only dude with an axe, it's yeah, like we uh, saw in the like trailer a while back that obviously Roy and Thalmittermeyer would fight Ovlister, and 
one of them was dual wielding and one of them was not. And it was a matter of some debate among the glory crew of who was dual wielding and who was who was not. I I will always insist. I always uh I always thought it was Mittermeier. I waffled, but I think I settled on Mittermeier. Like, I think that like between those two, like if those two are members in a J- in, in a JRPG party, mm-hmm. Mittermeier is definitely closer to the like. He has the higher dex, so he'd use two weapon fighting. Yeah, yeah, like he definitely tends towards like that end of the spectrum. Whereas like Roythal is definitely the dude who like wields like a broadsword or a katana. Like, as his, like, unique party member weapon. You know, uh... Yeah. But, uh... Stop. But, yeah, Sorry yeah. that tangent. No, no, it's fine. The, the the events of that episode are interesting as hell, to be honest. It's, it's, uh... I, I do have some, like, quibbles about, like, how they portrayed things. I think that, like, the weird... Their take on the Team Rocket special of how they trap Ovalister is a little contrived because they don't really, like, explain how they set all of that up. Like right like the liquid that's in the pit is like where'd that liquid come from how did they know how to freeze it like Just like take it on face like, yeah like you have to take it on face value that oh like they did some sci-fi shit but like it's like okay look digging a hole for Ovalister to fall in is like ridiculous and silly but it's also a lot more like uh, understandable how they got there right like yeah like, you know in your head, like, okay, like, some dudes got some shovels and started digging a hole. But, like, when instead you are, you are like, luring Ovalister to this freaking, like, Resident Evil final boss-like chamber with, like, a catwalk and a pit of, like, uh, like energy oil underneath, yeah. like, it's like, how did you know about this? Like, how did you set this up? Like, this isn't even, like, your fortress, right? Like how did you like set all of this up in a way that like Ovalister didn't notice and you know it's it's i mean the the explanation is that Ovalister is an idiot but yes <laughs> you know it's uh it was still a little weird i mean look we can get into this more in the uh actual in our uh, in our sister podcast the glorio chat where we will probably get into some we'll probably get into more depth about you know the yeah. the events and occurrings of dnt yeah. but uh for but, final uh, note, I, with yeah, that, do you want to talk yeah. about like how Legend of Galactic Heroes just delayed satisfaction? Yeah. So now that like both Trunic and Lang are essentially off the table, um, while it's very satisfying, you know, there's definitely a part of thing every fan who watches a show like this in this like, how come this didn't happen sooner? Like, how did these two fucking dirt bags manage to hang around for this long? And I think I have to commend the bravery of Yoshika Tanaka and and the writing of Legend of the Galactic Heroes that this is a show that this is a show that willingly killed off some of its most popular and well-liked characters pretty early in its run. You know, there's Kirky Eyes, of course, at the end of season one. And then even Yangwen Lee, like in the grand scheme of things, dies fairly early. In, in a show that is or was ostensibly about democracy versus autocracy. You know, there was also other examples like Jessica Edwards and, and Bucock. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of characters that are way more likable and way more interesting than Job Trunicht or Heydrich Lang that were taken out of the story. And, like, you think about, like, how fandom works, right? Like, mm-hmm. 
why do fans stick around with a show, with a work? And often it's the likable characters. We often talk about what is the appeal of Legend of the Galactic Heroes? It's that it takes very complex, very high-minded ideas about politics and society and then ties them to very likable, interesting characters. And so that it is not the story of democracy versus autocracy. It is a battle between the ideals of Yang Wenli and Reinhard von Lohengrom. And so to be willing to remove so many of those characters from the board and to have faith that your viewers would stay interested, I think is really impressive because like you think about it, we live in a world where Job Trunicht outlived Yang Wen Li by a sizable margin. Yeah. And logic should tell you that like that's not not that that's not a good story, but that's a story that annoys fans <laughs> because we are forced to live with this much more unlikable, unpleasant character that again, like makes for more interesting storytelling, but in the moment makes you feel worse while you're watching. And you know, like I'm going to save these thoughts probably for like our big wrap up because I want to finish this before I really lead out with these. But like, I'll wholly admit that season four, I'm still enjoying it, but I can tell I'm not enjoying it as much now that Yang Wenli is no longer around. The, the story has just lost a certain, like, it's just lost a certain angle and depth to it that again i think the story is still very interesting i think it's still very well told and i think that the the events that are happening within the empire are are compelling but there's a part of me that is just not as emotionally invested in like royenthal rebelling against the empire compared to how i felt about yang wen li defending the last shredded fragments of a liberal democracy right. and like but i'm still watching it and again, I think that's like a testament to this show that like it can that there are so many interesting characters and there are so many interesting plot lines that even when this show is like more than willing to get rid of some of its best ones, that there are still enough left over to to carry an interesting and engaging narrative. Yeah. And that like I guess it's like it is thematically appropriate that Job Trunick and Heydrich Lang survived and thrived as long as they did. You know, I think a, I think a weaker series, right? I think a weaker series would, a weaker series would have made Job Trunick an easy season one punching right. bag, right? Like, like Job Trunick is like the villain of season one, and then they get rid of him, and it's like, ah, good thing we got rid of that guy. It's a good thing it's that easy to get rid of bad, corrupt politicians who hide behind the rhetoric <laughs> and loopholes of the political system they exploit. But we live in 2019, and we know it's not that easy. That bad politicians are actually exceedingly difficult to get rid of, especially in democracies. Yeah, and isn't that the appeal? Isn't that the the dangerous appeal? The dangerous allure of an autocracy is, hey, that guy over there who really sucks. Like we could just get rid of him, except that we even see that begin to fall apart because Job Trunick and Lang both thrive under the Empire, and so I, I think it's like again, like like emotionally, it's not fun to see those characters running around, but I think thematically, it is very appropriate to the themes of Legend of the Galactic Heroes. That is like, hey, 
These guys exploit the system. They do it audaciously so. And they will continue to do so. And like, honestly, sometimes it takes more extreme action to get rid of those who like who hide behind loopholes and rhetoric. And, you know, not that I'm saying we should all, you know, <laughs> uh, storm Congress and hang all the politicians like the NSMC said all those episodes ago, but food for thought, you know? Yeah, sure. <laughs> all right, I think for that, I think we're good. I think we're going to call it a podcast after that. Uh, definitely not uh audacious call to action or anything but uh <laughs> sure you vote next year yes yes uh okay so as always you can listen to this podcast and read all of our work at theglorioblog.com you can follow us on twitter at theglorioblog you can watch legend of the galactic heroes on high dive and vrv you can also listen to the podcast on Google Play, Spotify, uh, Podbean, all those places. If those aren't your flavor, then you can also catch us on YouTube. Um, and uh, if you got some free time or want to listen to us talk a little bit more about uh, DNT specifically and its comparisons to the OVA, then maybe tune in for uh, the Glorio Chat, the, our sister podcast where we talk about more recently airing anime, including uh, Legend of the Galactic Heroes DNT. Also, perhaps check out Glorio's King of the Kaiju, where our Glorio UK correspondents discuss uh, a new kaiju movie every couple of weeks. And uh, got to give them credit. They're definitely going for some weirder, more obscure stuff. I was I was kind of expecting it to just be like a lot of Godzilla and all that stuff. But they're going for some weird deep cuts there, which is uh, definitely cool. And uh, I think that's going to do it. So... As always, thank you all so much for listening. Eero, thank you for accompanying me on this journey. Thank you. And until next time, I will see you all amongst the sea of stars. 